Welcome back to another episode of the Exterminatus Podcast, all things competitive in the world of Warhammer 40,000. My name's Eric. With me is my trusty sidekick, Robert. Hi. Glad to have you back here. Um, seems like you've had like a month-long celebration of birthday. Any more craziness this past weekend? Oh, no, no, no. Um, but today I did get to walk someone through their first Warhammer game, and I barely beat them by nine points. They had a very wonderful time. Always cool to get new people into the game. It's something I haven't done in a while, so it's pretty cool. Yeah, their sister's a battle. I got to shoot at my Necrons a lot. Ooh. Yeah, one one fun thing was um, a emulator killed a single score peck destroyer in Overwatch with a single multi-gun shot, and it was kind of hilarious. Gotta love that. So it's funny. Um, we've been talking so much, kind of poo-pooing. Um, well, at least I have, at least I should call myself out on this one. Horus Heresy, and I they actually had a few previews of the new rule set. And mm-hmm. um, you mentioned Overwatch. I guess that's a these reactions things are a big deal in Horus Heresy. It's one of the few things I thought was rather interesting. Yeah, I actually had I actually took the time um, about a week ago to watch um, Gorilla Miniatures games. Um, so Ash played a, a 1,000 point game of the Horus Heresy with basically stuff just out of the initial Age of Darkness box. And yeah, the Warlord traits that you essentially have access to don't do anything crazy like they do in 40k. They just give you, most of them give you an extra reaction in a specific phase. So like Ash took his Raven Guard and got to have two reactions in something in the shooting phase, I think. Sounds or the right. movement phase. Yeah. But like one of the things that I really enjoyed was oh, I move this unit within 12 inches of your guy. Um, you have a choice to burn a reaction to make them like make yourself walk away or like walk toward like you can position yourself to screw up your opponent for like charges or movement spacing and stuff like that. So it's, it's more than just like, Oh, there's overwatch and stuff. It's like, it's more akin to actually infinity with their ARO systems where you can just do a whole bunch of stuff. As long as someone's moving through your area of influence. It's a little more defined than a, than infinity. I agree with you there though. Um, yeah. There's a lot more. And that's something where where games workshop is apparently still fighting the battle against big alpha strikes. And one of the biggest things with alpha strikes, it's not so much the lethality or the, who gets more stuff. It's at the end of the day, it becomes, I didn't get a chance to play because <laughs> I, I, I lost the role to go first and I got blown off the table before I could do anything. So this kind of gives people the opportunity to do something and they still have the freedom to make mistakes. And so, yeah, it's it's kind of neat. You have kind of like a fade and fire type option um, with mm-hmm. the infantry, which I thought was kind of cool. Yep. And one reaction that you can do in the in the charge phase is you can have your guys stand their ground and cause your opponent to have a disordered charge, so they don't get the bonus attacks. Yeah, it was kind of an old throwback to Warhammer Fantasy. You could, you know, stand your ground or you can flee and try to make his charge longer by moving back and uh, you might still get caught, but mm-hmm. it's not it's a chance. And I was like, yeah, I kind of missed those. And I want to say there was another one where if you're basically you can return fire in the other person's shooting phase. Yeah, it's it's essentially a you fire, I think it's either at minus one or you fire snapshots effectively. So you only hit on sixes, just like an overwatch, but it does allow you to go. You shot me. Well, haha, I shot you. It's, I remember them talking about it being the big reason why like, Oh, no one brought support squads or anything like that because having a unit of 10 last cannons didn't really get to do anything. Well, you now bring a unit of 10 last cannon Marines. They shoot at them. Well, now they have a reaction to shoot all their last cans back at you. <laughs> right. And that kind of brings up an interesting point. Like, how many times we're like, okay, I intend to charge this squad. So in the movement phase, I will finish my movement 1.1 inches off his starboard bow there. And I'll probably shoot, you know, knowing that I'll probably kill like one or two models with the idea is I'm going to do the heavy lifting in the assault phase. Imagine, yeah, with these reactions that 
Oh, you're getting close to me? Uh, I'm going to charge you first. I'm going to, Cappy's like a heroic Naveen type thing. I'm going to shoot you in your face. And now, because you're so close, all my flamers are in range. Just really, that might be more the answer. And these could easily be integrated as universal stratagems because they're ones for phase. You know, you can only do these. Mm -hmm. And uh, which are just like stratagems. So I was like, oh, oh, maybe there is some room for that. Yeah, it thinking about it on a large scale, because I know stratagems existing for a lot of players, that, since there's so many of them, they do so many different things. You can have turns where players spend four command points to do like crazy plus one to wound, reroll all wound strats, and just merc whatever they touch. But that's four command points, and you need to do that for two turns. Well, you might not have eight command points to do it for two turns. Definitely with the new Nephilim, at least what's hinted of the new Nephilim rules, and that you're starting with a lot fewer command points to start with. Yep. And the one thing that we haven't been talking about as much with Nephilim coming out, it is a it's supposedly going to be around time for um points increases again is what kind of the rumor wheel is talking about. Yeah, I've seen the rumor wheel as well and I'm I'm kind of part of me is like are they just balancing the troublemakers? Are they rebalancing a whole bunch of other stuff, or is they just raising the game? Because it's kind of one of the worst kept secrets of the game. You know, back in fifth edition, everybody used to say the playtesters at Games Workshop, we all kind of snickered. Are there any? Um, they used to play the game at 1500 points. It's only us ignorant Americans that played the game at 2000 points. And when eighth edition came out, I kind of looked at it and went like, they raised all the points, so we're all paying 1,500 points. It may say 2,000 points on the sheet, but I have the same, my army's now the size of a 1,500-point army. Well played, you know, so maybe that's what they're doing again? Maybe, because I know the a lot of the stuff for, um, like, custodes already are incredibly expensive, so we're essentially playing, like, a 1200 point army <laughs> effectively yeah. but then you also run into armies like gene sealer cults and sisters of battle and other armies that accidentally bring a whole bunch of models because you need a whole bunch of models to actually play the army and then you have people who bring knights and they just go meh <laughs> i bring four models right so i'm not sure how this is all gonna phase out and uh how it turns out in the end but I think a lot is going to change just with the mission structure. It seems like there's a lot, this is a bigger change than just a, um, you know, kind of a cleaning up of the rules like we've seen in previous uh, editions where they just got it's the same secondaries, a few tweaks here and there. Mm -hmm. um, although this past edition, especially with uh, like uh, retrieve knockman data being the um, not automatic, you have to roll the dice, which is again, <laughs> another well stolen from infinity type rule. So, yeah, but I think overall, once we actually start getting to see actual rules of the Nephilim book showed off, then we can actually start making really good um, hypothetical guesses to see exactly how the game is going to change, because they may do something drastic. Like, I know the one thing that people have kind of snickered at is that objectives like Stranglehold are so easy and taken almost every game because how often do we play on a mission that has more than five objectives one third of the time yeah could go so i've heard rumors that it could disappear i also heard the to the last might disappear which i'm like oh but i'm painting a new court of the archon for that very reason no <laughs> so i don't know we'll see too bad your slith get to be half painted on your shelf forever, Eric. Well, it's, it's kind of a double-edged sword. Just kind of a slith are no longer in production. I missed the. I did miss the uh, the window. It was a you know limited time only. So I'm now converting some. I forgot what they are. The snake women from uh, Sigmar into cavalite. Oh, some of the yeah, some of the daughters of Cain. Yeah. So those are my. Uh, Slith, but I'm not alone in that conversion, not particularly original, but it's like, oh, okay, what's going on here? So we're curious if that means we're getting new plastic quarter of the Archon, or it's just going away because they you know, don't want to make any more. Who knows? Well, I know it'll probably be back in maybe like three months or so because they're playing on, I know they were 
mentioning like rotating out some of their stock that they don't that doesn't order very often. Yeah, who knows? But one thing we did see for sure, so I don't have to speculate at all, is a few new models. I was shocked. That's right. There's a there's a glimmer of like the Emperor's light through the darkness. That is nothing but Horus Heresy previews. Well, I mean, obviously, it's because Katie stands. Allegedly. Well, it's got some new uh, new people here. So right at the yes, we got some Imperial Guard. Excuse me, Aster Militarum, new models, and um, right off the bat, uh, Katie do- apparently stands, but it stands with a new leader. Ursula Creed. So yes, for those of you who re- remember, uh, Creed was her father was the former head of the Cadian Defense Forces and held the uh, Eye of Terror at bay thanks to some misunderstood Necron technology. And then once Abaddon decided, you know what, if I can't uh, take out the people, I'm just going to take out the planet they stand on. And uh, lo and behold, we have a new Creed at the head of the Imperial Guard. So pretty cool model, um, including that she's actually wearing her dad's old coat. So it actually has the holes ripped into it. So um, I think it's pretty cool. Kind of clever idea. Yeah, it's it's really neat to see characters like this. And also the fact that they're s- slowly but surely moving away from the classic, more World War II-esque kind of stuff. Because she has one of the classic Guardsman helmets on her base. Whereas she actually has a helmeted option for herself, and her helmet is a little more old-fashioned. But, I mean, she's also going to be a very nice model to paint. There's not a whole bunch of crazy details, but some people can go real crazy, like the Cadia symbol can be marbled and whatnot. Yeah, there's some opportunities there. She's so, pretty cool there. But the the other thing is a new, and I hope I'm pronouncing this right, Kaskrikin, Kaskrikin? trooper so um these are the uh you know basically the elite troopers of the uh imperial guard specifically to cadia these guys look really cool <laughs> they do not look like world war ii <laughs> yep i would like to think that kasserkin are very much um an in between of an actual guardsman to a tempestus scion because this doesn't look like a normal las gun this looks like a hot shot las gun of some kind yeah, I'm not sure what that is, but this it, again, it's 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 a mix of sci-fi armor with old school camouflage. It looks really cool. I'm I'm really excited about this. And actually, looking at the article that talks about this, I was right. That is in fact a hotshot lasgun because of the fact that it specifies that they have it. So yeah, they might as well be Tempestus Scions from Cadia. Interesting. And then my. I love my little vehicles. The new armored Sentinel is super neat. <laughs> yeah, it's a few. Um, neither of us play guards, so we're not sure if these are new weapon options, but I don't remember seeing some of these weapon options that are on this particular model here. Yeah, like the Flamer and the Plasma Gun, I know are weapon options because I've seen a few of them running out in the wild, but the weird, like, six shot thing that looks like a missile silo is just a new thing for me because I don't know if they could have missile launchers before. Yeah, I don't know if it's a miss. Uh, to me, I think it's a grenade launcher, but I'm not sure either or. So I am curious to see what that brings to the table. Yep. But I think as we look at the Imperial Guard and how they're upgraded, um, yeah, we go to the good old angry space dwarves with their weird, like, drone automata ironkin guy. Yeah, this is interesting because in the early. Demiurge uh, lore, which was was for the other space dwarves that are not squads, is that they're very much reliant on robots. That the idea that there's only like two or three of them on a spaceship, that everything else is uh, automatic, automatically run by them. Yeah, it's. I think this thing has some kind of inspiration from like the Castellan robots of Admix. So I'm pretty sure we're going to see a lot of mixed, mixed things show up in this army just because of that but it does kind of look like just a mining bot it's kind of cool it's got um, a big tool like a tool belt in front of them it's got a couple extra bots it has that same um stellan robot helmet style so if you like the uh, lost in space look you're in luck but it's interesting where they mentioned here in the 
fluff or on the background, I should say, they don't look at artificial beings as um, being lesser. They treat them as equals. And there are instances where, very rare though, that maybe sometimes they want to possess leadership opportunities, even though they are robots. So I was like, well, interesting. Yeah, some interesting form of sentience, which I'm pretty sure once Admech found this technology, if the if the leagues of Votan didn't make it first, um, they probably ripped all that out to make the Castellan robots. Yeah. So those are what we get from official channels. Now, those of you who peruse the wonderful site Fayat212, he was able to find this on a uh, Reddit post. There are a few uh, leaks coming out regarding the leagues of Votan. Not sure if these are real or not, so take them with a grain of salt. Um, I'm not going to reach you everything that was posted. The short version is, is the, the gentleman posted a whole bunch of pictures of the stratagem cards as well as one piece of new artwork. So we'll get to the artwork first. I saw the artwork and I went, ooh. I may want to play this army now. Every now and then you get a piece of artwork that just draws you in, much like when I first saw my first blood letter. I was like, what is that? That is the coolest thing ever. I want to buy this album. It's a game, dude. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I I did not get a chance to see the artwork because when I was looking at everything, I saw the stratagem cards and I went, nope, I'm going to take this. I'm going to take my curiosity and I'm going to walk away because of the fact that if I'm curious about this, then I'm going to try and make speculations about how the army works. And I don't want to do that because it could potentially be a new fun army. It could potentially be a really competitive army. Who knows? I think the hardest part is trying to figure out what it is that they will play as. And there's definitely hints and towards dwarves, but I don't know if you were a Warhammer fantasy player who played dwarves. Will this army play the same? I don't know if it will, but there's definitely some borrowed themes that they're definitely using on. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, the judgment token system, which I'm affectionately going to call the grudge system because <laughs> that's very much what it is. Because the one thing that I did read mentioned that tokens get placed, something got destroyed. You're just very mad that someone shot your friend. Yeah, it's kind of hard to understand how these exact work. It's definitely has something to do with searchlight units. And, uh, and obviously when... Uh, characters are killed um, by your army, you can put a grudge or a judgment marker on the opposing unit that did this dastardly deed to your army. And then there are mm-hmm. additional that gives, it's almost like it gives the opponent a keyword that your army can act on. So for example, there's one stratagem for one CP that if you're attacking a model with a judgment marker, you get plus one to hit in close combat, very similar to a marker light. There's also one where you auto hit with shooting attacks, which it's that's a little more um, competitive than say a marker light hit, but interesting. Yeah, the big thing is is that if that stratagem exists, what kind of guns do they use? Because, like for instance, custodes in the actual book, a lot of our guns don't get a lot of shots because we're rapid fire at twenty four inches. We're not like Tau, where we roll seven billion d sixes because of smart missile systems or fusion blasters i agree and i get the feeling it's probably similar to custodes where they have a lot of high strength uh weapons because one thing that was hinted in a previous article and it's brought up a few times is they seem to appear to have a ability where they can move and shoot with uh without penalty with heavy weapons that'll be a really big thing because obviously with like the potential meta changing for Obviously, NIDs are still in existence. NIDs are still really good. If the Leagues of Votan come out and NIDs aren't knocked out of the limelight, they could potentially be walking around with a whole bunch of last cannons that are able to crack the big bugs, hopefully easier. But, I mean, who's to know? It's a brand new army. No one's ever seen these guys before. People wanted them to be squats. (laughs) Yeah, don't know. Uh, getting a better idea of what some of the units will be, and these are keywords we picked up from the um, stratagems. I'm not going to read all of them, simply because a lot of them are just some of the tried and true. You know, get you can get an extra relic, you can give it a character uh, other than your warlord a warlord trait, uh, those sort of things. A lot of the more popular ones, but uh, there's, for example, a accelerated units. So units with accelerated seem to be some sort of fast attack choice. There is a stratagem that uh, if you choose to move with them. They, uh, 
don't need to roll for the advance. Just move them an additional 12 inches. Which makes you think, like, if they make them, if may, blah, 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 English, if they make them move an additional 12 inches, they would probably only move something like maybe 8 or 10 inches, which is faster than the rest of the army, but just adding an extra 12, there's no reason why you would have anything move um, 24 inches upon advancing unless you're, like, a specific character and you have a buff to do something like that. Right. There's another unit referred to as Berserk Units, which I'm thinking may be kind of tying into a like a Viking Berserker type thing, or maybe even something similar to a uh, Wolfen type character. <laughs> Mini Wolfen. <laughs> Don would like those. Yeah, no kidding. It'd be kind of cool. Uh, there's another elite unit, kind of their elite, uh, seems to be like their, their main shock troop. It's called an Einher. And... Um, there's also seems to be abilities where you can give non-characters a, a limited list of relics, similar to what you can do with um, the Book of Rust with uh, Cult of Strife. And upgrading Space Marine Sergeants to have potentially special war gear and whatnot. Correct. And then the last thing we notice is there's a lot of units that are referred to as pioneer units. And they seem to be taking on a lot of scouting uh, type roles. So maybe those are the ones that have more forward advance opportunities. So it seems to be, you know, options, uh, quite a few going through there. And when you add that to the the robot we saw today, um, don't get an impression this is a fast attack army. This is definitely a... uh, you know, grind them down, shoot them from a distance type army, but um, more to come as we get more uh, details as they come through. Are you a gamer that has more bare plastic than you have time to paint? Do paintbrushes spontaneously combust when you hold them? If either of these is true, contact White Crow Studios and get your models painted by a college-trained professional painter. You can contact Bo at whitecrow.commissions at gmail.com and view his previously painted models at White Crow Studios on Facebook. Yep, but we are here to talk about the modern-day stuff, the Tyranid Menace. I'm totally kidding. We're just here to talk about competitive 40K. Um, so we are going to start out all the way out in Tennessee, where there might be giant mosquitoes, given the time of the year, <laughs> at the Bluff City Open. So let's see here. Your top five looks something a little bit like this. Uh, fifth place, Jeff Bodine. That sounds like a Memphis name. With Adeptus Sororitas. Fourth place, Joe Putnam with Death Guard. Uh, Annie Patton with Eldari. Ryan Verbeck with Tyranids. But interesting enough, this is just stunning right off the bat. Seth Piper going a perfect five, uh, excuse me, five and oh, six and oh, excuse me, with Black Templars. How is this uh, possible, Robert? Well, let's see if my old I don't like Marines brain can actually read this thing and figure out what the heck it is. So it is legit Black Templars. They have a random Calexus assassin. Because, yay, Calexus assassin. Um, a chaplain, High Marshal Helbrecht, a Primaris chaplain on bike. I don't remember half of the um, chaplain chants outside of the Canticle of Hate saying we're angry. Um, two units of five assaultants. Uh, yeah, two units of five assaultant assessors. A Primaris Crusader squad mixed up with, um, let's see, the Sword Brother, a couple of neophytes, and then initiates with chain swords. And then we have a Brick of Five Blade Guard, two Redemptor Dreadnoughts with um, the good old Plasma, the Gatling Cannon. And a unit of five Vanguard Vets, a unit of Outriders, and a unit of Eradicators. I think that he just walked forward, and there was plenty of cover, and he was just really mad. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Um, Yeah. Black Templars are back. It's (laughs) curious. I mean, this is baffling to see him. And then he also had decent scores. 94, 94, 88, 94, 186 in his final game. So, yeah, the the thing that I know that I remember from the Black Heart Templars review is they had access to like the they could take a, a really bad transhuman where they could only be wounded on threes or better, or they could have a five up invuln. 
and plus armor of contempt made it so that way you could potentially have a really durable marine army kind of going, yeah, no, I have invulns, I have transhumans, I have armor of contempt. <laughs> Try to chew through me. Yeah, pretty crazy. And plus they're coming at you, so you have to chew through them. So, so for me, I am curious about this Mr. Putman fellow. Because how long has it been since we've seen Death Guard bef- like in the top 50% of a tournament? Especially this side of the Atlantic. Yeah, so he was playing the Inexorable, which I'm familiar playing against. They can literally say minus two year charge with a stratagem. And I actually, no, I think I've forgotten because Dawn hasn't played. I haven't played against Dawn in a while. So I, I believe they have something like ignoring extra movement penalties or something like that. Cause I know death guard do that innately, but, but either way mm-hmm. it's, um, it's death guard. So, it's a putrefier, the blight spawn, so the crazy grenade man. Um, the Lord of Virulence. That was that's an interesting choice. That's I believe that's the double flamer guy. Yeah, that's a double flamer guy. A playcaster, a unit of one, two, nine, ten plague marines, and then another unit of seven. A horde of fifteen poxwalkers. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. A brick of ten Blight Lord Terminators, two units of Death Shroud, the Tally Man, and a couple of Chaos Rhinos. Interesting. So I firmly believe this guy was taking advantage of the Blight Lord Terminators having OPSEC along with the Death Shroud so they can just walk on and touch things and spread their nasty contagions around and go, ha, you're all like toughness four. We wound you on twos. <laughs> and all that other wonderful jazz. It's just a matter of time before somebody, you know, really cracked them open and really did something with them. So glad to see Death Guard back up because it's that whole idea that they have that because that play kind of grows turn by turn in terms of its radius. So it was always when I remember reading that, I was like, that's brutal, especially as somebody who plays a toughness three army to begin with. So, but yeah, it's definitely nice to see that. Obviously, Tyranids are still navigating the top tables fairly regularly because within the top 10, there is one, two, three Tyranids mm-hmm. list. But we're not seeing the same thing over and over again. Like Leviathan is in eighth place. We see a Jormungandr list. Um, Ryan Verbeck, I'm going to take a step. He was playing Kraken. So it's more than just what everyone hates into playing Leviathan because it's freaking transhuman on toughness eight monsters. But still, congratulations to Seth Piper, though, for coming out on top with the very, very angriest of Marines. Very, very cool. Where are we going to next? Well, we're going to go to the Bug Eater GT. Yep. So the cool thing about the Bug Eater GT is the gentleman who runs it is actually a school teacher. And this is actually, uh, year after year, has been a fundraiser for the debate club. Uh, at his local school where he teaches. So it's one of the really one of the very first uh, charitable organizations associated with a Warhammer tournament. And it's been going on for uh, at least since fifth edition that I've heard about this tournament. So it's, it's a big event in the Mideast. Uh, Mideast, good. Uh, Midwest is what I'm trying to say. So um, really cool to see this still going on. Yep. So the top five over here is Axel Johnson with Chaos Knights. Yes, I get to look at that one. <laughs> um, and right on top of him is Cordy Giroux with Drukari. And then, oh my God, it's a double play. Michael Mann with more Drukari. And then... Well, what'd you expect from the guy who invented Miami Vice? Eh, true. Um, and then we have Matthew Rundy with um, Harlequins, some more elves, and then Curse You... Congratulations, though, Ben Neal, for coming in first place with Tau. I may not like Tau, but you're probably a good guy. <laughs> so, yeah, Ben Neal was able to edge out Matthew on battle points as both players went 6-0. But, uh, yeah, you were getting your... Let's take a look at that Axel Johnson list and see what how Renegade Knights are cracking the top five. <laughs> yep. So, this is... Wow, this list is actually hard to read. Um, so, it is... House Herpetrax. So Herpetrax, I believe, if I remember my books right, is the one that innately gives knights an extra 
two wounds if they're a war dog and an extra four wounds if they are anything bigger than that. And it is comprised of a Night Rampager with the Blessing of the Dark Master. So the good old, like, hey, I'm actually Bellicor with the Night Diabolus and the Aura of Terror. So he has extended Dread Ranges and he has an extra attack naturally. And he can reroll charges and some other stuff. I might be mixing it up, but it's basically, hey, Thread Overload. And he's the Arch Tyrant. Yeah, Night Diabolus, Teeth at Hunger, Aura of Terror. Yeah. And then one, two, three, four, five. Um, war dog carnivores, so the melee war dogs, and then one, two, three, four, five, six um, stalkers. So the stalkers are the ones that can get. They come. They can get like a chain talon or a stalker claw, and they can also get melta guns and I think one other gun, because some of the war dogs can kind of be built the same. They just have different names and different keywords. That's what you think of this list. Well, it is definitely uh, it is definitely in a very strong list because of the fact that the Night Rampager um, allows War Dogs to reroll once to hit for melee attacks. So you run him up with the four, the five War Dog Carnivores and it's just threat overload. It's essentially throwing a flying hive tyrant and five carnifexes at your opponent and saying here deal with this while I go and score the primary with everything else. Yeah, it seems pretty um and a nice variety of things too. You know, you don't see the you know 13 war dogs type thing. He's got uh, some big guys, got some medium guys. It's pretty cool. Yeah. The essentially whenever you look at night lists nowadays, it's either you bring like three big dudes and like two war dogs or four big dudes, or two big guys and seven war dogs, and this guy's obviously going, nah, I'm bringing one dude and 11 war dogs. <laughs> Having all the obsec in his army. Let's look at Cody's list, who came in with uh, Jakari there, and uh, it's kind of a nice state of affairs of where Jakari is right now, because it's a, it's a list we've seen before, but kind of retuned since uh, all the FAQs and balance adjustment slates have been out. So he starts out with a uh, battalion and it's Cabal of the Blackheart uh, featuring a court with a Lamian, a Forceleth, and four Urgle. Uh, he has the Archon as well as a Drazar and the Drazar is his warlord indeed. He's got three Cabalite warriors, bare minimum, and um, a unit of Corsair Voidscard. We've seen this before. That way he has, uh, none of us have a token Psyker. Uh, but also that Psyker uh, on a 5-plus every turn can generate an additional command point. Uh, he's got a unit Incubi and a unit of 6 Mandrakes, so that way he will auto-pass all his R&D checks until he takes the casualties to that unit. Uh, Dark Lance Ravager and a Raider and a Venom. And then he adds on a um, Patrol of Harlequins, featuring a Shadow Seer, a unit of 6 players, uh, a couple of Fusion Guns, Looks like one embrace, one kiss, and a bunch of blades. So he's just missing the uh, caress at this point. He's got a solitaire, four sky weavers, and then one unit of three void weavers with all with prismatic cannons. So, yeah. and he's playing specifically light, so still taking advantage of the crazy minus one to hit and can't hit me better on fours stuff for the void weavers. Yeah, it's an interesting choice there because it's. Um, still powerful it's still you know yeah it's got toned down a bit but i think because he's got a smaller footprint of an army he can better use it mm -hmm. but it was interesting seeing how many other players switched over to dark so that gives you the uh plus one to ep and find out I, I think yeah i think the dark choice was more of to fight into armor of contempt because light doesn't have as much ap as much as it sounds but i mean you're still clowns. You have a four of Benvol and you ignore terrain. <laughs> right. I do like the change of the solitaire being put in there. That's pretty interesting with Prince of Sin. So interesting. So mm -hmm. uh, give you kind of a state of affair of what's going on with Jugari these days. Yep. And with leaving the 
bug eater event. We're going to hop across the pond for a little bit to go out to the London Open. And that one was a fairly large event because I know something about the person who won it. So the top five for the London Open, fifth place is Ryan Williams with Harlequins. Fourth place is Brian Sape with Tau. Third place is Nassim Foshani with Adeptus Astartes. I don't know which Marine. We'll have to look at that. Look at that. Um, second place is Thomas Brown with Osiriani. And first place is David Gayard with High Fleet Leviathan. Hmm. When if this uh, game's going to boost his rankings? We'll have to find that out later in the show. But looking at the top cut between David and Thomas, that was not a close game at all. Like, at all. A 100-32. to 32. Yeah, that was not a close game at all for the final table. But yes, I'm actually interested in this normal Space Marines list. What one is he playing? So let me tell you about that. He is playing a custom chapter as an Iron Hand successor. Featuring a Master Artisans and a Whirlwind of Rage. It's got uh, one unit of Voidsman in Arms. It's got a Primaris Lieutenant, Infiltrator Squad. So it looks like it's the same patrol. Yes, it is. And then Eliminator Squad of two units of three. And then two Landspeeder Storms. And then he adds a Vanguard Detachment featuring a Tech Marine, three Redemptor Dreadnoughts, with Icarus rocket pods, macroplasma incinerators, and onslaught Gatling cannons, a relic contemptor dreadnought. This one also the cyclone missile launcher, merciless logic. He's a hero of the chapter. Also, March of the Ancients and twin Volkine culverins. And then he has two units of Vanguard vets. Looks like one, two, three, four, five strong. All of them with chain sword and lightning. And then the sergeant is armed with a lightning claw and thunder hammer. Wait, he's not done. He's got two Devastator squads and a heavy support slot. All of them featuring two Multimeltas and two Grav Cannons and a single Drop Pod. Yep. So it's definitely back to the days of, hey, we're going to make our Dreadnought a character. <laughs> so you make your Relic Contemptor Dreadnought a character because it's small enough to hide behind the other Dreadnoughts. Yeah. But nice to see the... Um, Devastator and Drop Pod coming back. That's another buzz one, especially with the Night Meta coming back in. And uh, probably Eliminators are probably helpful for that as well. So interesting. Yeah, because of the change of Bodyguard and not being as useful. So now Snipers can actually get around the Bodyguard rules. So a very interesting list there. Yep. And then to round out the weekend... We jump all the way back to Texas with um, War Games Con the 12th. And yeah, just, this one. Yeah, it's while well, you're looking that up, cool little history here back in the day. So in fifth edition, we used to always talk about the, uh, the big four. And uh, so that would be BAO, which we just had last weekend, War Games Con, LVO, and Adepticon. So if you could win those four, it was kind of like the Grand Slam of tennis with the Grand Slam of Warhammer. So it's interesting to see. I don't even think War Games Con, which actually, by the way, used to be run by the same team that ran the Bell of Lost Souls website. So that was kind of it used to be Bell of Lost Souls Con, change of the War Games Con. I don't even think it's the largest tournament in Texas anymore. Well, that's a neat little history thing because I never eat. Like, obviously, I haven't been playing for that long, so I didn't know. But um, the way this tournament ended actually looks really interesting because your top five is this. We have Matt Tweedle with Tyranids. We have Johnny Velasquez with Slanesh Demons, of all things. What? Hmm. Um, in third place, we have Kit Smith Hanna with also Tyranids. And then, you're not going to believe this, Eric, um, the last game of the event they tied. I did see that. We have Josiah Cook, who ended up coming in second place by sheer battle points with High Fleet Leviathan, and then 
friend of the show that you keep talking about that I have yet to meet <laughs> is Colin McDade with Tyranids. Yeah, we did have Colin back on again. It's been way too long. Colin, if you're listening, give me a call. But uh, congratulations. Yeah. Uh, second week, he's been playing Tyranids. We talked about him about a couple weeks ago at the uh, Dallas GT. So was able to um, secure the win this time around. Yep, and looking specifically at Collins to see if there's any different flavor of bug, because right now all I ever play into is Leviathan here in Arizona. Um, he actually took the event with Kraken. So he has a Neurothrope, he has a Winged Hive Tyrant um, that knows Onslaught, Proxism, Smite, Synaptic Lure, Tail. Yep, has the Reaper of Obliteratrax Relic, which that thing is stupid good. Um has a single has a unit of Tyrion warriors. This is a, in fact, a patrol. Yes, single unit of Tyrion warriors, a unit of pyrovores. Yeah, unit of two pyrovores, a unit of three venom thropes, and then two units of five raveners. These undercosted blenders of a unit, um, a single exocrine, two harpies. Um, they both have heavy venom cannons, and one of them has been given some adaptive physiology of dermic symbiosis. I'll have to look that up later. Um, and then he has a second patrol of Kraken with another winged hive tyrant, another unit of three warriors, and then two more units of two pyrovores, and then a fast attacks choice of parasite and mortrex, and another five raveners. Wow. My guess is fast list. Yeah, because the Ravagers move 12. I almost say Kraken have some abilities where they can move move models twice or move models faster. I have to look it up again um, what they do. But that was always their shtick was the fast ones. So, Yep. The, I guess the because his opponent was, in fact, playing Leviathan. So a lot more big bugs. So, yeah, the Tyrant two exocrines, um, a Neurothrope, another Winged Hive Tyrant, a brick of ten Tyranid Warriors, some more Zone Thropes, a Biovore, and a single Carnifex. So not the... Uh, people might be moving away from the Maliceptor spam, because the Maliceptor is a humongous issue sometimes, because people know that they can just shoot it and hopefully it dies, but when you're playing against Leviathan, when you're wounding on... As um one of our teammates down here said, if you're wounding on fives, it doesn't matter about transhuman because you're wounding on fives and sixes. Yeah. I was coming from a it was an LR player, so and I kind of that took home. You know, that really made it. You know, if you're if you're already not worried about wounding on fours or you know, if you weren't wounding on fours or better, it doesn't. You're basically paying for that ability for no effect. So okay, great. So mm-hmm. drown them in dice. Okay, I can do that. But I think both you and I are interested with this Johnny Velasquez. How did what did he take to do so well with Demons of Sinesh? Well, first of all, it's Johnny. I'm glad to see him back on the circuit. So that's step one. Step two, yeah, what is this monstrosity? So as I open the list and I look at it, the first thing I see is a is a one, two, three, four, five, six letter sentence of Bellacor. Yay, Bellacor. Mm-hmm. I like Bellacor. He's interactive. I'm totally being sarcastic because, dear lord, this demon prince is bad. Um, like, bad for everyone else. He is good for whoever's using him. <laughs> He's a terrifying model sometimes. He has two keepers of secrets. Um, <clears throat> I have no idea what any of these things do anymore. <laughs> um, three minimum units of daemonets, a unit of fiends, and then another patrol of still Slanesh. A third keeper of secrets, then the named keeper of Shalaxi Hellbane, another unit of Daemonets, and two more units of fiends. One looks like a four-man, one looks like a three-man, or it. And then two units of regular Furies that are given the mark of Slanesh so they can exist. Hmm. Furies usually there's action monkeys. I'm really surprised about the minimum size Daemonet units. I mean, they're um, they're ten person strong because the Allurus is their sergeant equivalent. Yeah. So it's a total of forty demonets across the entire list. Okay, that's more than I thought it was, but still, 
That's interesting. Okay, cool. Uh, I don't know. Maybe you can do more actions with them or something, but uh, yeah. I, I definitely think looking at this, the Furies are the initial action monkeys because you just keep them off the table for like barely any cost. And it's a threat overload kind of thing where it's the Keepers of Secrets are really fast. They hit fairly hard. And Shalaxia is no slouch because she's a named keeper. And then you also have Bellacor. Like, Bellacor can just make stuff happen or make stuff not happen. He's a demon prince. He does stuff. Yeah, good point. And those things so, are yeah. so fast, too, that yeah, they're on top of you pretty quick. So, mm-hmm. But definitely a very fun-looking list that if I had enough Demons of Slanesh, I would probably try that list and go, oh, this is a lot of brain power. I don't want to do this. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think. I, th- I think I'm short a few Keeper Secrets that I definitely don't have a Bellacore, but I think I have everything else. I don't know. One day, maybe the um, the lawn equipment will become powerful again. Those are always my favorite models from that line. So, <laughs> Oh, the big exalted chariots? Yeah, those things are awesome. <laughs> Yeah, I am still partial to having a corn, a demon of corn army, because big, angry, red demons stabbing you with iron swords are always a much more f- pleasant sounding time because you die rather quickly. <laughs> <laughs> so, looking ahead next week, we've got the Atlantic City Open uh, today. Uh, as we're recording, it was finally uh, tickets went on sale for the Las Vegas Open, the big, big one. Uh, the end of the season but before that uh, get yourself some itc points at the spike club open which is september 10th and 11th and that will be at bell bank park in the santan valley of arizona so um sort of the chandler tempe area there and those tickets are on sale now we've got room for 128 players we love one of them to be you uh, definitely hang on over to our website and uh, spike club 40k.com to buy your tickets there in the store so a lot more events still yet to come in this. We're about midway through the season here. Yep. And for those of you that are listening and will be at ACO, I will be there. I will sadly be not donning my shaved head as traditions of being Robert Donnie Jr. But because I'd rather not be touching my head covered in sweat. Nice. <laughs> with how humid I think it's going to be. Uh, good old Jersey. But yes, I will be out there with a few other teammates being lost in Jersey, having a very wonderful time with my custodes. And I think I know what army I'm going to play next season, Eric. Uh-oh. What am I feeling? It's staying with Knights, or are you going to go crazy on me? No, no. It's probably going to be Chaos Knights, because I am also... I was able to get all my LVO tickets today, and I'm thinking of being a madman, and if I don't make it into top 8 of LVO, which will most likely have, which will most likely be the thing, on the Sunday RTT, I'll most likely be playing Chaos Knights and going, <laughs> big stompy robots for the entire season. Woo! Interesting. Okay. So they definitely have a lot more character to them than they've done in the past. So they're a pretty cool choice. I'm kind of jealous at this point. Um, like on the Facebook page, I finished the fir- I finished the Tyrant, and he's up there. He's all green and nasty and nergly whole bunch of goodness. Hey listeners, this is Raymond with the Extreme Honest Podcast here to talk to you about KR cases. If you're like me and you're constantly looking for that better way to store your armies, then look no further than KR cases. That's right, this is the foam company known for their soft blue foam in the cardboard cases. They're a great way to mix and match whenever you're heading out for that next tournament. Just swap out those boxes and no need to worry about switching the foam in and out. They're sturdy, the boxes help protect your models, and if you when you order, they come fast, the order is right, and for a better price than the other guy. So go to krcases.com and when you place your order, be sure to mention the Exterminatus podcast. I think we get to hop on to our placings for 
the current ITC. Indeed, and things have to shaken up a little bit here. The ITC top 10, so no further ado. In 10th place, Ben Jones hangs on to that bottom spot with 1,184 points. Just one point ahead of him is Brenton Weiss. Uh, eighth place, Anthony Birdsong. Uh, seventh place, Stephen Crawley. Sixth place, Thomas Ogden. And then from here on, it is all the British Invasion. Fifth place, Matt Robertson. Fourth place, Innes Wilson. Third place, Manny Chima. Vic Vijay's Day in the Sun. Uh, fortunately, cut short a little bit by number one player. We talked about him earlier today, David Gaylard with 1,323 points. All players have at least gotten their six events in. So um, this is the time of year with a lot of big events going on that some players that may have been lurking just outside the top 10 or even the top 50 start piling up those big scores and start making a major move at this point. Yeah, it is definitely the point of the season where this is where a lot of the events people have planned to go to because if they're tied up in school with jobs or something like that, they're able to go to these ones and then just knock them one out of the par- one after the other to get their big scores in. Cause I know for me, I'm at five out of six events. So ACO is going to be my sixth event. And then Smite club is going to replace one score and then LVO. That's essentially my entire schedule. <laughs> but looking at those, you know, the, the, some of the dire players are able to get to more than events than that, or maybe just have a lot more events in their local area. Um, it's kind of the planning at this point, because now you start looking to replace of you know some lower scores. It's no guarantee that you will improve on some of those scores, so it's always that pressure for some of the top players to do better, and that's kind of how Richard Siegler uh, kind of snuck on into the ITC Top 10 uh, last year because he just simply had six events, and nobody saw him coming. Yep. So at this point, I'm mainly just aiming to try and get best custodes. I know I have to compete with Ryan Snyder, so I'm pretty sure Ryan Snyder's going to take it, but otherwise, I'm sure as heck going to try. Yeah, we'll we'll run over the uh, best in factions later in a later episode, but um, this is, I'm looking at them here. There we go. Actually, Ryan Snyder has fallen to second place. With 767 points, two points ahead of him is Greg Harris. Yep. I mean, I'm not super worried about it right now. I still have the end of the season to really see where it all ends up. But I mean, I love this game. I love this hobby. It's going to be a great time, whether or not I get best in faction or not. But it's a nice little goal to have. And that's something, one of the things I'm glad they came out with this, you know, because like, especially if you're a someone who believes that their codex may not be as superpowered as everybody else's. You're like, well, here's an even playing field for you to try and take a top spot. So pretty cool stuff there. Yep. All right. That is our show for this week. So again, thank you very much for listening in. Uh, Those Smite Club tickets uh, are available for our Smite Club Open, if I can talk at the end of the day. So with that, uh, my name's Eric. I'm Robert. And thank you for listening to the Exterminatus Podcast.